Are you writing that down or something? Are you taking notes or something? God, how juvenile. <laughs> I'm glad that that was what you took from that. I literally was just like, I'm waiting. I'm like thinking to myself, should I wait? Because Adam's writing this down. Yeah, he's writing it down. And then you take it as, <laughs> I'm offended that he would write something down. Well, before, because you You think I like, don't take notes, Sylvie? You think no, I don't take you're notes? You're like, okay, I got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host. Chris I'm still Savage. Chris Savage. <laughs> still Joined you. by Sylvie Lubau. Sylvie Lubau. You nailed Sylvie it. Sylvie Lubau. You're here. I'm here. We've got a great show today. We do. There's so much going on. We've got people who've written in. We've got an amazing guest. It's like, where do we start? Where, where do, do we, we start? Even, where okay. do we begin? We need to start with Fizz. So Fizz Elajade, she is a New York City-based filmmaker. She's created some award-winning documentaries, some branded films for global brands. Um, she really focuses on telling human stories that cut through the noise, which we talk about in the interview. We do. And she is working on a really exciting new project. Um, so there's a lot to hear about. There's a lot to learn. This is a fun one. This is a good one. I mean, they're, they're all good, but this one was really good. We had the chemistry. We had strong chemistry. And we talk about that. We talk about the chem. Talk about the chem. We keep it met. We keep it met. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I abbreviated, you abbreviated. Okay, what else we got? Now we're just going to go to letters. It's T to G right now. It's T to G with the VM. Time to go with the voicemail? <laughs> Did I crack it? That's right. You've unlocked okay. the code. Okay. Um, so yeah, we have some people writing in, right? We put the email address out there. We did. TTLpod at Wister.com. And we said, if you want to send us a voice memo, and it's good, it's well recorded, and it's funny, and interesting, <laughs> it might make it on air. Do we have anything, Sylvie? Yeah, Silent Adam is gonna cue this uh, this baby up. So let's let's hit it. Okay, let's hit that VM. Hey, Chris and Sylvie, love you guys at Talking Too Loud, and I just wanted to drop a line to Whoever say- Whoever this is, they sound amazing. If I could somehow get Sylvie's voice and put it on my Alexa, such that every time I asked Alexa something, I would hear Sylvie's voice <laughs> instead, I would probably wow. end up asking Alexa all kinds of <laughs> random questions all day long. Love hearing your voice, Sylvie. It really uh, just always makes my Tuesday. Keep producing great stuff, guys. Talk to you later. Wow, wow, wow wowie, wow. How do you feel, Sylvie? I've never seen you turn such a shade of red during all of the, uh, the, the 20 episodes we've done. Yeah, I am. I am like beat red right now. Um, <laughs> that was delightful. I, you know, I don't like the sound of my voice. So like, what? thank you, dear listener, for that confidence boost. I'm going to flex on my voice like all the time now. Everything's changed. It's all upside down. What does Alexa say? Because I don't use Alexa. Does she just tell you stuff like Siri? Yeah. <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> so you could just ask like, hey, Alexa. Well, let's practice. You be you and I'll be Alexa. Okay, let's start with something but easy. Sylvie. All right. Hey, Sylvie. What's the temperature right now? <laughs> oh, God. I got the yips. Does Alexa get the yips? Um, no. No, no, no. Should, should I? <laughs> let's try again. Hey, Sylvie, what's the temperature right now? Today is a cool 66 degrees, Savage. 
Wow. <laughs> Personalization built into the Sylvie bot. That's incredible. I also don't think it's 66. It's so I feel like it's not. so also inaccurate. Okay. 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 I got to work on my accuracy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. You can keep working on that. Keep practicing. I'm going to keep practicing. I'm excited for the day that talking too loud is so big that you really do have <laughs> your voice being used on AI speakers. When that day comes, Sylvie, I mean, it's going to be fantastic. I want a big bonus. I want a big, okay. big bonus for that, okay? Sounds Just so great. you know, you know that I know that you know. All right. Now, speaking of people with amazing voices, I think Fizz has an amazing voice and her accent incredible. So let's jump into the interview with Fizz right now. Fizz. Hey. So nice to meet you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. It's always fun to meet people live on a podcast for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure at all. I know. <laughs> we'll make the chemistry happen. We'll figure it out. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you for being on top of it. Um, where are you? Where do you live? What's going on? I live in Brooklyn in New York. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. Are you, where are you guys? I'm in Brooklyn like you. Yeah. We're yeah. in the cool club. We We're are. in the cool club and Savage is... I'm in Providence, Rhode Island. Savage is there. Okay. Pretty cool. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. I've not been there, but yeah, sure. <laughs> I believe you. Oh, yeah. It's really cool here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's this background you have? Is this... Are these like sound dampening panels that just like look beautiful or what What are we, what are we looking at Yeah. Here? This is my bedroom. Okay. No, it's not. Okay. I'm in a WeWork space. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is possible these days. I feel like I just he have so no trusting. idea like, yeah. what's going on. I know. I do not I do not have a red, orange, and green bedroom. No. Um, I'm in a WeWork space. Mm. You can kind of see see the views. Oh, it's wow. probably really blown out. There you go. That's uh, the Brooklyn oh, yeah. Navy Yard on the oh. side. And uh, yeah. Sweet. That's where I'm at. Well, look, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I'm excited to have another filmmaker here. I, I have a background in yeah. documentary film myself. I know you have like a big documentary that you're working on. You've done a yeah. lot of commercials, tons of different stuff. But I think before we get into that, you know, I have some hard hitting questions. And I'd like to Do start it. with uh, what was your favorite movie as a kid? Oh, my favorite movie, yeah. hands down, right? And I get my black card for this. Coming to America mm. without a shadow of a doubt. Yes. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Like, no two ways about it. The best film ever. Wow. Now, if we're talking Coming to America 2. That was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I still love Eddie Murphy. Like, he's the best. You know, that was... Uh, but Coming to America, the original, <laughs> is just amazing. Amazing, amazing. And do you think it impacted the the work that you do now? Like, when you look at the, the films that you're making and the stories that you choose to tell, do you think you're influenced by that? A hundred percent. And I didn't even realize. I think from that film, what I saw was just the richness of like blackness and this like black utopia. Right. And so when I'm telling a story, what I'm looking for is just all of those elements of just like beauty, beautiful cinematography, just like this world that I want to live in. And the music and just the vibe and the energy and the flow. Um, that's all I'm about completely. That's awesome. Have you gone yeah. back? I feel like one of the things in the pandemic, I'll speak for myself, mm -hmm. like, I feel like I've regressed back to like what I did as a child. And I, like, I started playing video mm. games again. And I started doing all these like things, like watching stuff I used to watch, even listening to music I used to listen to. Have you done the same thing? Like, or no, am I alone in this? I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, ha I have. Do you know what? I really, really hate 
watching a movie twice. Coming to America is one of the very few hmm. movies I can keep watching. And I used to like compete with my brother and my cousin. Like we would recite just the lines like word for word and we would like fight each other and it would be like the next one and then the next one I always lost right I was never ever as good as them ever but that's the one <laughs> film that I can and like we'd miss the whole film because we're just like fighting each other to like recite the lines right <laughs> so so I'm just watching a ton of documentaries a ton of films and as much as I love like coming to America favorite film ever I kind of am not great with fiction films because mm. I just, I critique it so much. So like, you know, my husband hates watching films with me. Hates, <laughs> hates, hates. Because I'll, I'll dissect, like, why did she say that to, that's not even realistic. Like, Why did they yeah. put that character there? Like, I'm the worst. You mean the narrative or like everything? Yeah, narrative. Narrative. The narrative, everything. Okay. Yeah, narrative films. But if it's a documentary, I mean, it is what it is. That's what really happened. Yeah, so I can like sit and watch like forever. When I was doing a lot of editing, I had the problem. Mm. I started to only be able to see the edits in movies. And so yeah, like I totally yeah. lost the narrative. Yeah. Like I would just be like watching a scene being like, well, that edit seems too slow or that's jarring or that's yeah. fast. And then yeah. I'd be like, be like, what's happening? I was like, I don't even know. Like I just, cause it was interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting that like that in a narrative film you are really focused on the story, which of course makes sense because like they get to choose what the story is versus the Yeah, exactly. So I don't understand why it's not perfect. Yeah. I don't get it, why it doesn't make sense. And especially like continuity. Like oh, I, yeah. I'm, I obsess over those details and I'm like, hold on a minute. Like, I'll always spot, like there's like a mug in the background mm -hmm. and it's not there in the next shot yeah. or her hair was different. I will always spot that. And my husband's just like, just, just like, just shut stop. up. Just yeah. enjoy it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so funny. I, I thought I spotted a continuity error the other day. We, we were rewatching Arrested Development, and mm. that's like, you know, something I watched in college, and we're like watching again. And there's like, there's like a file folder that has like all these important documents like thrown down, yeah. and then they cut to the next shot, and it's gone. I was like, it's gone. Look, they screwed up. Yeah. And then yeah, like, yeah. it was actually in the narrative. It was like someone had okay. sneakily stolen it. It was revealed later, and I was like, uh, but it took me out of it. I feel like when you're looking for those continuity errors, it, it, it does get it hard to, to see the story. 100%. And then the weirdest thing of it all, right, the weirdest thing is that I absolutely love reality TV. Okay. There's nothing that has more continuity errors than reality yeah. TV. There's like the most... Like, it's insane. It's insane. You'll see the same person in yeah. the same shot and like back to back and it doesn't make any sense. And I love it. What's your favorite reality <laughs> TV show right now? What are you watching? Oh, man. Um, I do love Real Housewives. I love the franchise. Um, to be honest with you, I used to say that's how I learned about America mm. is by watching the Real Housewives oh, no. franchise, oh, right? I know. So I learned a little bit about New York. I learned a little bit about New Jersey. I love, love Atlanta. So that was my introduction. That was my research. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that it's working. <laughs> you came to America, watched some reality TV, and now you know what the reality is. No, I get is. it. I feel like it's also I like, I mean, the scary thing about America is like the reality TV is becoming more and more reality, right? Like it's like crazier and crazier mm. things are happening. So yeah, it seems exactly. like it was an accurate representation. That's great. That's great. Right, yeah. I learned a lot. Yeah, I know. And so when I finally come to do like my citizenship, whenever that may be, I'm going to be able to answer all the questions that they have on there about America. I'm totally going to get it. I'm going to be like, fuck it, I know. <laughs> um, okay, so 
tell me about like, you know, you've made award-winning documentaries for lots mm -hmm. of global brands, you know, Google yeah. and YouTube and lots of folks. Um, yeah. And I have questions about both, but I'm also wondering, like, we're talking a lot about story and narrative and documentary versus uh, fiction. And like, what even got you into this? What got you into filmmaking in the first place? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I didn't go the traditional route of going to film school like most people did. I kind of felt like it wasn't for me. Um, I thought it was like all the artsy kids that did it, people that probably had connections and things like that. So I never even thought about it. I actually um, studied psychology in university. So I have a degree in psychology. And my route into that was I love, <laughs> I love true crime. And I really wanted to be a forensic psychologist. Ooh. And I was like, yo, this is it. Like, I get it. I know, what I, I know what I need to do. This is my calling. Like, I wanted to also have that doctor title, right? But I wasn't great at um, biology. So I was like, forensic psychologist, this is it. And so I studied psychology, really enjoyed it. But the whole path and trajectory to, towards doing that is really, really difficult. You know, having to do a master's, you still have to do the PhD and it costs so much money. And I just thought, I just uh, want to work. And so I found my first graduate job straight out of uni working for a TV shopping channel, which was really cool. It was really interesting. And a couple of people left and they went into TV. And I thought, oh, so if we've got this on our CV, that means that we can work in media. And really, my whole life, I've just always sort of blagged my way from job to job. Being like, oh, yeah, I can do this job. Oh, yeah, I totally get it. So straight after there, I um, went to MTV mm. and totally just like Home of blagged my way through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and... Through working at MTV, I worked with a lot of production companies and I'd go on set, but I was a client and I was like, no, I want to be on the other side. I want to be helping to sort of craft these stories and work with these brands and um, help direct and have that vision. So I got really, really excited about doing that. So after I had left MTV, again, just really trying to find my way and I found my way into a documentary company, again, totally blagged the job I was like yeah I know how to produce um I know this world I was just speaking so much trash and they were like <laughs> okay <laughs> like, I mean to be honest with you the owner of the company he said to me he was like look you come from this background where it's like music and you know fashion and it's like very colorful and very loud I don't think you're going to like this. Like documentaries are a lot slower. Um, a lot of the stories that we're telling is science, technology. I don't think you're going to enjoy it. And I was like, no, I will. And like, I was there for like almost 10 years. Wow. So, yeah. I remember the first time I went on to like a commercial set. I didn't mm. really know what to expect. Um, right. And I also wanted to direct. And I was a PA. And uh, actually, the first mm. time I was like on a real commercial set was this. Um, we we're doing an ad for Party City. And um, it was for Halloween. And my job as PA was to roll out sod on the floor so that uh, mm. we could make an indoor lawn so people could trick or treat at a fake house. Okay. And I remember rolling right. out this sod being like, are you kidding me? Like, what the hell is going on? This is horrible. But I had taken the advice like, um, dress for the job you want, not the one you have. And so I was wearing like a nice shirt and I was like starting to get like, I was concerned about the mud on my shirt. And some other guy was like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, they threw the sod on me to get mud on my shirt. So I would like get over myself. And then okay. I like walked over to the director and tried to like, you know, get in with them. And they're like, who is this kid? 
And it was like, it, I, I, it was funny because I was like, oh, wow, there was like a very clear, it was so much more regimented than I expected. Mm. Was that your experience? Like when I imagine a director, I imagine them like yeah. throwing papers around and like, you know, making the shot right and like just like running yeah. amok. But it was at least my experience was not like that. Yeah. What, was, what has your experience yeah, been like? Yeah, that's such a great question. I totally remember um, one of the first, uh, shoots I went on and I was just like I said I was the client so mm -hmm. I was watching what this director was doing and I thought could I do that and I was like I totally could it was a shoot for Lego and it was a shoot with kids and so he had to really get into the minds of these like um, I don't know maybe they were like seven eight-year-olds mm -hmm. and really get them to perform mm -hmm. and to play with the Lego. And so he would kind of act out this behavior that he really wanted these kids to do. And so the whole time through pre-production, um, through all of the development, you know, I've been on so many calls with him. We've been in meetings, like total stand-up guy. When he got into this, onto set, he was like a child. And I was like, <laughs> this is so weird, but I love it. Yeah. And, you know, so he was really modeling and he was like, okay, guys, so we're going to get together. Actually, I don't even know why I'm doing that in American <laughs> accent. It was totally British. <laughs> the dude was a total Brit. That's how you know I've been here too long. <laughs> but he was like really modeling and he became this child. And I thought, that's so weird, but I would love to do that. Huh. Like, I'd love to just, like, be an eight-year-old kid on set. And it worked. Wow. You know? that's, very, yeah. I, that's very cool and very different from my experience. I was like, these people are just, like, getting this job done. And, like, you know, there was kids involved, but they were like, you go over here, kids. Like, get your candy. Get out of here. <laughs> and, like, it's cool to see that because it was like, that's what I was hoping for was, I think, mm. somebody to be, like, playing. And then the thing that yeah. I saw was not playing. It like sucked. That's um, tough. How long were you a PA for? Because I never went that route of going intern PA. Like how long did um, you? Yeah, I really, actually that experience of having this guy like throw the sod on me, I was like, wow, I don't want to do this. Like I want to do other shit. Yeah. And so I was a PA for maybe like a year and a half, but at the same time I was doing a lot of other stuff. So I was like editing a feature film for someone for free because I was like really Ooh, excited okay. about it and trying yeah. to get on my resume. And then I yeah. had, the big thing I worked on was this like feature length documentary about this mayor actually of Providence, Rhode Island. And I was transcribing tapes. It was like nothing, mm. it was brutal work. Mm. Um, but I just wouldn't go away. And then after like three and a half, four years, finally I had been like shooting stuff and helping to edit and like really nice. becoming one of the producers. And so my, uh, my mentor at the time, the filmmaker of the project, she was like, you're an associate producer. That's who you are. I was like, oh yeah, my God, I've done lovely. it. And so that was happening at the same time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was super dope. cool. And like got to, you know, did the festival thing and stuff. Um, although it was interesting because I feel like I had this experience where it wasn't my movie, but I was working on it for so long. Then we tried to get yeah. distribution for it. And that's where it fell apart. And it was very confusing it's to tough. watch this because I was like 22 at this point. And we had won an Emmy because it had aired on PBS and it had won a bunch of film festivals and we got it to a distributor who looked yeah. at it and they're like the big doc distributor at the time. Yeah. And then they just said, actually, yeah, we think the movie's really great. It's really good, but it's about a politician. We don't really want to do anything that's political. So like, we're not going to, we can't distribute this. Uh, and, I, and I watched the filmmaker just get devastated. Um, totally. And it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And when yeah. I saw that, I was like, Oh damn, like this is what can happen. Like you could spend four years on something. So anyway. Yes. 
you can. It's it's really, really, really tough. And especially along the way, so many people have seen it. So many people love it. And I just, I don't understand why you wouldn't put that out in the world. Like you want to just watch and read so many different types of stories. So I don't understand why anyone would turn down a political doc. Like it's part of what's really happening. Um, yeah. It's weird. It's, I mean, but. I think it's changed now. But um, mm. look, let's get back to you. I was reading on your website that as a filmmaker, you kind of define yourself as like telling human stories to cut through the noise. Yes. Can you tell me like, what, what does that mean? And what does mm-hmm. it mean when you find a human story or tell a human story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of the work that I do, I work with brands like you mentioned before earlier. And, um, you know, some of the briefs that I get, it's like it could be a new technology. So I do a lot of stories around cloud technology, for example. And so the brief that will sort of come to me is, we've got this piece of cloud technology. We want to show that we're um, the leaders of this because there's so many different amazing brands doing amazing things. But we want to show that we are number one and how much this technology impacts people. So a lot of the times the clients will have an idea of who they want in the films and it will be the VP of engineering, the CTO, all these technology officers. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll interview them. But that's not going to make it compelling because at the same time, right, they go, we want these people in the film and we want a million views. I'm like, it just is not ever going to happen, yes. Yes. right? The only way that I can really dig into the story and use human stories is who are the people on the end? Who are the end users that are impacted by this? So what I love to do is show the client something that they don't even know exists. So they know the brand, they know the technology, they know the product, right? And they know all the marketing language around it. I start there. So give me that as a lead and I'll start there. And then I'll work my way, do some research and find a really cool human story to connect the dots. So, for example, I was working with a client and they wanted to show how the state of Colorado used this cloud technology for disaster management. Um, So in this town called Lyons, uh, there was a flood a few years ago and this cloud technology helped to connect the community together, helped to get everybody resources, helped to get everybody like food. And this flood really devastated this town. And it's a small community. It's actually a really, really cool community in Colorado. It's really eclectic. They've got music festival, um, just so many cool things about it. And so the client was very clear in terms of oh, let's go and meet the, the um, you know, the Colorado government, the people that work behind the scenes, the desk people. We went out to the town, we went out to Lyons and interviewed and met with some cool, really dope people. We met with um, a guy who owns a pinball shop and he had this fascinating story. I mean, to be honest with you, we could have just made a film about his Mm. space. It was the most colourful, just like visually striking place. And he was really, really quirky. And he connected us to this textile owner and somebody else and somebody else who had these amazing stories about how in the middle of the night, what happened was there was this like robocall that was like flood, flood, flood. And everyone came out of their apartments and houses and homes and were like, what's going on? And, you know, all of a sudden an area on the west side was like really flooded and then people like in the middle of the night are running around helping each other out. So it was a fascinating story. 
that cloud part of it, of course, the technology is amazing, but how the people came together. And, you know, when they told their stories, they were so emotional. They were tears. People cried. I mean, I was like, this is it. This is like goosebumpy. You do not think you're going to get a goosebump story from a cloud technology film. (laughs) You, You just don't. But that's kind of like what I'm always really seeking is like, who are the people that are really affected by this? They don't even know what's behind it but they have a real genuine authentic story to share and that's kind of where I always feel like all roads should lead to it's like the human behind it I guess what I want to know more about is the the match between the brand and the human stories Mm. you know one of the things we hear a lot about is people who are excited about making branded content you know they want to make a show they want to make a documentary they want to make a film they instinctually want to invest in this and then some people figure out how to do it. Some people don't. Um, how do you walk someone through when they're like teetering or they're not sure like what kind of benefit they're going to get and how they should think about it? Yeah, absolutely. I always say to my clients, like you've got to trust the process and you've really, really got to trust me and be completely open. Um, doing a documentary is very different than doing a branded content film. I mean, I'll see loads of branded films and they'll label it as though it's a doc. And I'm like, how the hell is this a doc? Like I was watching a series with um, some lift videos that were really cool. I mean, it's totally, completely branded. And they had some sports stars doing interviews with their friends. They called that a documentary. I don't know how that is a documentary. You've already given a list of questions to the sports star. They've already got specific messaging. Like a real doc is it's fly on the wall. Like we're following and we don't know what the ending's going to be. You know, it's not scripted. You have to really be open to it. So I've done docs for brands where we know who the main um, maybe protagonists and antagonists of the story may be. We understand where we're going to film and we've got a certain amount of days that we're shooting, right? But I always say to them that we may not capture exactly what you have in your mind, in your heart, but what is the goal? What do you want this film to look and feel like? Are we putting a lot of product placement in it? The more you do that, the more it starts to feel a bit more commercial. If it's just their logo at the end of it, then again, just like completely trust me, trust the process. Um, I worked on a story for Google and um, they wanted to highlight a set of um, small businesses that were run by people who identify as transgender, right? And so the whole suite of films were called Trans Voices. And those were beautiful films because we just, we knew who the characters were We knew what their businesses were, but we didn't know what they were going to share with us. Mm -hmm. So we were there with them for a few days following them. So we understand the setting and the kind of parameters that wrap around it. But we had to really convince our clients to just like let them lead us as the filmmakers. Like we know where we're going to be, but like let's be open. And I think that that's really what the difference is. And in that case, it seems like Google knew they came to you knowing that they wanted to amplify some voices, right? That's kind of, 100%, is, that, yeah. is that how that project really started? They're like, hey, we want to amplify yes. these transgender voices. Yes. And because yes. we want you to help us. And you said, yeah. okay, let me figure this out for you. But yeah. I need to actually amplify their voices versus like change their voice to meet what you want. Yeah, exactly. And also it's about having the right people on the project as well. So really, really important, really key was that we had consulting producers who were transgender. We had um, a director. So 
I wasn't the director. I was acting as executive producer on this project, along with um, other team members who were really taking the lead on this. But we also had a transgender director on the project, which is so, so important. It's like if we're telling a story about a certain community, let's have the right people tell the story. I get so frustrated when I watch something about, you know, someone else telling um, somebody else's community story and they miss important details. They miss the small, it's always the small details Mm -hmm. that they miss. And so that kind of process was really nice because it was open and the client allowed us to come back with stories to them. You know, even from the research stage, we started off with research, we started off with a list of, you know, people that we would love to feature and then we whittled that down, but we made sure that we had the right team to do it and which I think is really important. And obviously you figured out this process, right? Like you you figured out that like to tell a human story, you want to be real and you want to be authentic. How did you figure that out? What was that process like? I think that it's definitely um, trial and error because I know that there's a ton of films that I've done. You will never see them on my website. They are awful. (laughs) They're not real and they're fake. (laughs) I just, I'm just a proud of it but you know the client maybe gets a kick out of it and they really like it and think that it ticks all these different boxes so it's a process of also being comfortable and confident in terms of my own skills as a director too um oftentimes I'm interviewing people in the c-suite and as you know they are super media trained super VR like I can't tell you how many times I've met with um someone at this level right who I feel like they're challenging me. They're like, okay, so we're going to do this interview. Um, I've, you know, allotted an hour for an interview because I really want to get into it. I really want to understand them. I really want them to just like break down. And they're like, oh, we can do this in 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh, Oh, you're challenging me now. Yeah, here we go. 15 minutes. (laughs) And so then I will ask them all the time, really off the wall questions. To the point there, they're just like, wait, what is she getting at? Like, why why are you starting there? You know, I don't even start with like the basic questions of tell me about yourself. Tell me about your company. No, forget that. I'm like, if I gave you a magic wand and you could change the world, what are the three things you'd do? And they're like... Actually, I kind of do like talking about myself. And honestly, it works every time. Like it will turn from 15 minutes to an hour. And then I get into the real like meat and bones of everything that we need to do. But um, yeah, I always feel like it's a it's an interesting challenge that I like to take on. At, at, yeah. As someone who does a fair amount of interviewing myself now, like, yeah. do you use the same question on people? Like, do you always go to like no. the magic wand or do you change it up? Oh, I always change it up. Okay. Because you, you have to feel the vibe and energy of like, certain people. Everyone's yeah. just really different. And yeah. it's just like about what you think they'll connect with. Like sometimes I'm like super British. Like I think a lot of people when they see me, <laughs> when they think I'm American, right? When I first, obviously I'm in America, they think I'm American. And then I open my mouth and a lot of people start laughing. And I'm like, okay, they think I'm a comedian, whatever. I'm just gonna go super British on them. And I open them up that way and it really works. And then there's times where I have to be a bit more like, cool, calm, collected reserved you know um so it just depends just feeling out the energy and the vibe of the people that i'm interviewing i do like that you have the going super british though in your pocket at any moment you're like well if i want to right now i'm going super british let's do this (laughs) yeah exactly do you feel like your psychology degree factors into how you direct can you talk about that yeah, because I think everyone has a little bit of serial killer in them. No, I'm joking. Um, I did actually, Whoa. I was this close. Like as soon as I finished uni, I actually did um, 
do an interview with a prison. I didn't get the job and I'm really, really glad I didn't. But it was a telephone interview and they asked me a ton of questions and I guess I just failed. I don't know. I can't even remember what they asked me, but um, yeah, I didn't get the job. That would have been a very different life, yeah. <laughs> it would have been very different. That would be yeah. very different, yeah. So as you know, the show is called Talking Too Loud. And it's called Talking Too Loud yes. because yes. since I was young, I always cannot help myself whenever I get excited, I talk too loud. I have a feeling... I kind of know where you probably know where I'm going with this. But like, I'm wondering what's got you talking too loud or talking too fast or whatever it is that gets you going these days. Um, so yeah, mm. what what has you what has you excited, Fizz? Wait, you said you had a feeling. Well, I have a feeling about what you're going to be excited about. Yes, um, I just. Ooh. But let's let's see if I'm right. <laughs> let's see. Okay. Um, well, it's nothing British. Okay. <laughs> I am really. <laughs> I just want to put it out there. Um, what has got me talking too loud, I would say, is black joy, for sure. So we kind of touched upon it in the beginning, right? And I get really, really excited, especially the project that I'm doing right now. I feel a real urgency to visualize black people as expressive, effortless, you know, we're sensitive, we're quirky, we're artistic, we're intelligent, we're regular. And I really, really get excited by works of art. So I love photography deeply, even though I'm not a photographer myself, but I just, I love it. And I love following um, just amazing photographers like on Instagram and anyone whose vibe is just straight up black utopia. I'm like, yes, I want to be there. I want to get there. And that's what I want my work to really reflect. So for me, I'm a documentary filmmaker, right? But I really want my work to evolve and grow. And I want to be known um, for creating a new aesthetic of blackness, not in an obvious, like corny way. Like right now, as I'm sort of seeing where a lot of the work that's sort of coming out is trying to level the playing field, saying that, you know, black people do this too. Mm -hmm. Black people also have like two parent families too. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. I want to take us to the next level of just like just pure joy. And that's kind of where I'm at. That's really what's got me talking loud. That's I'm awesome. really excited. Well, I, yeah. I was going to guess your documentary and I and oh, yeah. And, and I think like. The uh, it's called the Underground Railroad Ride. Is that right? Oh man, yeah. Um, yes, and the Underground Railroad Ride. When yeah. I watch the trailer, um, yeah. I I see what you're saying because there's like a lot of stereotypes that are like not even you're you're challenging them without even like making it a big deal. Like it's about the story, yeah. right? I think of mm -hmm. this guy deciding to ride the Underground Railroad on his bike, mm -hmm, and he is mm -hmm. black, and he's riding a bike, yeah. and like there's yeah. even stereotypes. I think like around like. How many people are cyclists and like all this kind of, and that's all thrown out. Yeah. It's like this, it seems like the story Completely. of like, it, yeah. So it's, it's well, so yeah. you were, so you were right. I would say you are right. Okay, thank because, you. <laughs> <laughs> because that film to me really embodies black joy. So exactly what you said, it's this story of this guy who has this amazing idea, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, just before the US elections, in a year where everybody is like reckoning with themselves yeah. about race globally he's like hmm i want to explore what freedom means and especially because you know last year a lot of the cycling races were cancelled mm -hmm. you know he wasn't able to he, he all of the people that rode and did this trip they're not professional cyclists but they do compete they, you know they do competitions and things like that and if you look at the professional cycling world it is majority white, mm -hmm. white males. 
there's just barely any black professionals and there's a real handful of those but there should be more it's just not as accessible for so many different reasons and so you know this guy's just like I really want to do this ride I want to explore doing a sort of underground railroad route so he got four of his friends to go from Alabama to DC did it in 17 days and going into it as the director of this project again it's not scripted but I still have an idea in my mind it's a story about these guys getting from place A to place B will they won't they make it are there going to be like tensions within the relationship are there going to be any accidents Are we going to come across any issues in the Deep South? I mean, the Deep South is a place that most of us who have never been there are like terrified of. They were like, oh, do we really want to go there? I mean, when we got there, there was black joy in Alabama. Hell yeah, like for sure, you know. So we experienced that and we saw it firsthand and it was a life-changing experience. But honestly, what was crazy, there were so many crazy, can I say ish 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 okay there's so much crazy ish that happened on this trip it blew my mind so like I said I thought I knew what the story was going to be it is so multi-layered it's insane um so that was really really exciting but at the core of it at the heart of it you see camaraderie between these guys in a way that you don't really see with young black men you know we see the trials we see the angst we see just the struggle and That wasn't the focus here, but it's very, very emotive. And there are struggles, right? But yeah, I don't really want to give too much weight, obviously. Yeah. Uh, But it's like, (laughs) it's, it's an incredible story for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm also interested, you shot this during the pandemic. Yeah. And how did you find the story? How did you decide to the do it? The story found me. I found The story you. found okay. me, yeah, which was awesome. So this guy, he had this idea to do this ride. So within like their community and just these, I mean, they're 20-something-year-olds. This is what they do. They go on bike tours all the time where they ride like hundreds and hundreds of miles. They take off for a few days and just like go to Niagara Falls or go wherever. He decided he wanted to do this specific trip and he enlisted um, – four of his friends there were five of them and they cycled over a thousand miles so each day it was between 70 to 100 miles a day without a break every single day and these are not professionals so in my head I was like oh we've got drama right here yeah that sounds (laughs) that sounds hard (laughs) this is hard yeah and it was hard for me because I had to film every single day (laughs) I was like (laughs) with them I was like guys are you sure you don't want to break it was like no we're like you know going for it um so yeah I this story came to me they'd already planned to do this ride and then they knew somebody who was a filmmaker who said oh I think we should make this as a film and he's a white filmmaker but he really believed that this story should be told by someone black and so he sought out people that could come and help tell this story and that's how uh, it sort of came together yeah that's awesome and what's the plan for when we can see it the plan. It is hard. It's a struggle. I mean, we filmed everything. The footage looks gorgeous. You know, we've got like trailer and stuff like that. Um, but we're raising funds at the moment. So we're raising funds to get into post-production so we can actually like get this film edited and working with, you know, finding a sales agent and distribution and all that stuff. But we've got an amazing, amazing team of um, consultant producers. We've got 
a kick-ass executive producer who's just like incredibly dope and like really makes shit happen so the team are so on it I think we're just like waiting for some of these funds to come in to really push us to the next level but we're hoping that um by the end of the year we would have had everything together and the film will be released cool yeah. And are you raising funds online or how can people get involved? We can are. people get involved yeah, or we what's, have, what's the story? Yes, people can absolutely get involved. Um, we have a GoFundMe. Um, our website is www.undergroundrailroadride.com. We also have an Instagram. So there's like links to our GoFundMe. Um, yeah, so we're raising funds. We're applying for grants. I really do believe we're going to get it all together. But it's awesome. just, it's a process. And it looks like you're raising 150000 That's the goal. Yeah, I mean, we could do with more, but okay. yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if you're listening and you want to support this film, go yeah. to undergroundrailroadride.com and you can go right and donate and go directly to the GoFundMe. And I think you would be supporting an incredible film, an incredible story of Black Joy. Yes, yes. the story of Black Joy. Yeah. Yay. Um, Fizz, this has been amazing. I mean, I feel like, you know, you're just hanging out in a WeWork and then suddenly, uh, you know, we're just meeting during this live podcast. And what I, did I, tell you? I told you we were going to have chemistry. We, I told yeah, you it, was we just, well, it happened. It happened. Um, and, and then like Sylvie didn't have to like stop us and say like, <laughs> guys, I'm sorry. She didn't have to jump in and go, can you repeat that again? <laughs> we were okay. You guys are great. I want to really thank you for being here and talking too loud. Where can people connect with you, find you online? Um... I have an Instagram, there's at Fizzle and Gems. Um, also, just on my website, fizzolagiday.com. Everyone's always like, is Fizz her real name? I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is, I am Nigerian, so my full name is Olua Fisayo, but um, y'all can call me Fizz. Sweet. Well, thanks for being here, Fizz. <laughs> we'll link to all of that and uh, really Amazing. appreciate it. Can't wait to see the movie. Yay, thank you so much. Appreciate the support, guys. I always love when we do these interviews with somebody like Fizz who like I've never met before. We thought she was gonna be a really good guest, but just as like instantaneous chemistry hang, like the conversation went into all these different things. How do you think that happened? How do you do it, Sylvie? How, how do I do it? How do our guests do it is more like it. I mean, I knew Fizz. Um, I worked with her on another project and I was like, yo, she's dope. And, and I love that she was just so passionate about really everything, but about black joy in particular. Like that is what I took away from that interview that she is just about creating this new aesthetic that really leans into black joy. And it was just like, I don't know, it was amazing to listen to her talk about it. Yeah, it's like create the world you want, right? And that's what create she's doing, it's creating want. these aspirational worlds, focusing on black joy. And even just, I've thought about her documentary a bunch yeah. Um, in that, like, when I first saw the trailer, it really did impact me that it seemed different. And then mm -hmm. she obviously knows what she's doing and nailed that. Um, but I do think we need more stories of black joy for everyone. And I love the idea of trying to create the world you want, right? Like, it's such a inspirational, motivational message. And she's just like, you know, cutting through the noise with her charisma and, you know, finding interesting stories. And it's like, great. It's a great example for all of us. It was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. 
Well, um, what do we have next, Sylvie? What do we do now? We tell people about, we're keeping it meta, right? Keeping it meat, keeping it met. <laughs> oh, no. Keep it a bit, keep it a bit. It's T to G to the E. It's time to wrap it up, though. It's time yeah? to wrap it up. It's time to wrap it up. So if you've enjoyed Talking Too Loud, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, subscribe if you've just found us. You know, we'd love another subscriber. Um, if you have feedback for us, please share it at ttlpod at wistia.com and be on the lookout. We have a lot of amazing new content coming from Wistia Studios. We've got A Better Workplace, our new podcast about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have a exciting new series called Show Business that has just come out. It's a 20-episode series about how to make a video series or podcast for your brand. Everything from coming up with the idea through production, marketing your series, it covers everything. And uh, you can binge watch this one. That's right, all 20 episodes Woo! coming out at once. We've done Love it. Love that. We've created more bingeable content. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot more stuff coming from Wistia Studio. So please go to wistia.com, um, check it out. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day, executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.